Hey everyone, welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about the new Tom DeLonge movie, Monsters of California, the poltergeist phenomenon, and hive minds uh, in non-human intelligences. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett. What's up, man? Yo, man, how's it going? Good. Excited to get into this. There's something I wanted to uh, talk about right off the bat, just in regards to the podcast. I uh, know in the intros, I usually say three things that we're planning to talk about. And a lot of the time, it's uh, we don't get to actually maybe two of them. So uh, I just thought <laughs> I'd just continue doing that as a, as a sort of bit going forward. Um, just so you guys know what we're planning to talk about. And then when shit goes off the rails, uh, you guys can tell. <laughs> and then hopefully we'll talk about it the next week, but probably not. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was kind of funny. Someone on Twitter said, hey, just make it a bit. <laughs> you know? I'm like, yeah, maybe uh, people won't think they clicked on the right episode or something. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to embrace it and just kind of enjoy that we can go off topic and still have a good conversation. But um Today, we're definitely talking about Monsters of California. Uh, I watched it last night. Garrett hasn't seen it. So we're going to try to go through this without giving away any spoilers. I'm just going to read some of the stuff from like the meat of what Tom is trying to say through this movie. You know, it's nothing exactly new. There's not really any yeah, new information he's putting out there with this movie. It's all pretty much what he's been saying for a while Tom uh, just put it in a package that could be more suitable for, you know, the younger generation, which is kind of what he's tried to do with TTSA the whole time. Yeah, I'm just going to, I guess, read the the main kind of monologue that the guy goes through. Garrett, I don't know if you wanted to uh, say anything about the movie or your expectations or, um, you know, in general. Well, he he had a hell of a trailer. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so the, I, I really don't know what to expect. I don't know how much of like a family movie this is going to be. I don't know how like into the weeds Tom is going to get about the quote unquote others, you know, and uh, like, is he going to show one? Is he going to like, I don't know. I'm just real interested because I feel like it's something that like a lot of the things Tom does. It's the first time it, like Angels and Airwaves. Like, I'd be honest, bro. A lot of their songs I really like I was like, all right. And then like after learning a lot about Tom, I was like more interested after you know what i mean and yeah. uh this is like how i kind of see this movie going is like i don't know if it'll be my favorite movie but like i think that it'll be something that is going to have a lot of information and that's like the big thing i took out of ttsa was that like they want to make fictional and non-fiction books in order to tell these stories you know so like regardless of what I think of the movie, I think it's still going to have a lot of valuable information. And I know Tom loves it a lot and really put a lot of work into work into it. So, uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to it, but I, I, I'm curious to hear what you say about it. Yeah, I guess I'll just get into it and then we can kind of go over what, what some of this means. It's uh it's kind of a lot. It's really only two paragraphs, but there's a lot of stuff into it, but, uh, yeah, here we go. Um, this is one of the main characters who is basically, working for a program and trying to explain the basis of the UFO phenomenon. This is what he said. Well, for centuries, man has told the story of God, how God created the universe. The universe was a well-ordered place with man at the center. But then man began to ponder, thinking about a spiritual world, 
world you can't see, but filled with angels and demons. A story told within all religions combined. Then came the 1940s and things began to merge. We discovered a new life form, not human, not spirit, but very, very advanced. We didn't know whether they were good or evil, primarily because they wouldn't talk to us, at least not directly. But lately they've been showing themselves more frequently. I think your father saw them up close and personal on the night that he disappeared. You ever wonder why the world is such a mess? Why one part of the world is democratic, believes in free will, and the other part authoritarian, a loss of individuality? It's competing races and the influence they have on mankind. So from the depths of the oceans to the far reaches of any mountain range or hell up to the dark side of the moon, they've always been there. And throughout millennia, they would pop up every couple hundred years and they would teach us something important about mathematics or language or science. But we hear these voices in our head. We get these ideas and epiphany. You see, they have been teaching us and advancing us. End quote. So yeah, that's a, that's a fun one. And kind of the main message, I guess, of this film. And like I said, it's it's nothing new that Tom hasn't said before. It's just kind of all put together uh, in a package that you can give kids, I guess. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying in a way. But uh, yeah, man, what do you think? Um, your first time hearing it. I hate to always do this, but like I always tie it back to Keel because he's the author I've read about this subject so much. That's that's exactly the way Keel describes it. Or like mankind's relationship with this NHI seems like uh, it's periodic or episodic is the way I've heard it described. Like you hear you hear the term flaps, I'm sure. Keel makes it very clear that he he thinks like we talked about that in a previous episode that he thinks that there's some sort of like proxy war going on part of it is like he he would talk about the middle ages and he'd be like well in the middle ages like mankind really faced a lot of adversity and he was alluding to and he not alluding to he was just straight up saying that like in the middle ages there was a like the black plague and like a bunch of people in Europe were fucking dying. And according to Keel in like the 13th, 14th century literature, he says that it's filled with people remarking on how there's UFOs in the sky or what the people of the time would balls of light, atmospheric phenomena, like things along those lines. It made it seem like every time humankind was in danger or, uh, really, really facing a, a lot of adversity that, there was always an instance where there would be some sort of change. And the thing he said that got us out of the dark ages was uh, revolutionaries like Joan of Arc, who was a female French woman who was hearing voices in her head. And then you have uh, people like Christopher Columbus exploring the world. Leonardo da Vinci was alive in the 1400s. And then there was another one. Shit, I think he's the printing press was the other thing that was invented at that time. All in this like pocket of a hundred years, mankind went from having a lot of adversity to like getting through it and getting a little bit of a boost. So I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know. I, I would have to pick that apart. And uh, like a lot of these things, I have to listen to them a lot. Um, but that's my first impression, just hearing hearing what you said right off the cuff. What do you think when you hear that? Didn't in the book, did you read the book Gods of Eden? 
Yeah, yeah. Gods of Eden is one of, in yeah. my opinion, that's like a top five book. And in it's, one of, book, it's one of the ones DeLong recommended. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. But in that book, he basically puts reports in about uh, the Black Plague, about how they saw these objects in the sky and they like sprayed this mist kind of right before the Black Plague. And it was like really fucking freaked me out. <laughs> I don't know, man. That that was a weird one. I don't know if you remember that, but that yeah, that, that kind of stuck in the back of my head for for a long time. So, but but the one thing about this specifically was when he said, um, "Then came the 1940s, and like things began to merge." Really wondering what he means by by merge, like kind of the two worlds like crossing over in a way, or um, I mean, if they've been there this whole time and started just kind of showing up since the 1940s. I wonder if, you know, that had to do with our, our nuclear weapons and stuff like that, where they started getting freaked out or the nukes might've opened up some sort of um, layer in the veil, uh, made it more thin. Well, when you say something's merging, I don't know about you, but the first thing that pops into my head is uh, concepts like Joseph Farrell's book, Transhumanism. And uh, it, I feel like if you say emerging, that implies some sort of singularity to a degree, um, like one thing merging into another. So something that I talked about last week on the podcast was when we were going over the Department of Energy documents where these UAP were making incursions into our nuclear uh, facilities. I was wondering why they might have these flashing fucking lights going on all the time. If they were trying, if they were adversaries trying to gain information from us, uh, you know, they wouldn't be doing that. They wouldn't make themselves noticeable. This is the interesting part of this monologue was when he was talking about how they didn't know if these others um, were good or evil. And the main reason they didn't know that is because they weren't talking to us, at least not directly. That sentence itself uh, reminds me of Lou Elizondo uh, a while ago. Um, I think it was Dan, uh, Dan Zetterstrom from that UFO podcast was interviewing. She was a like a whale expert who uh, studied kind of whale communication and and just marine yeah communication. And Lou Elizondo submitted a question to Dan asking her, you know, about nonverbal communication and how that might play a part, I guess, in the, you know, communicating with whales if we were ever to do that. And I just find that to be very interesting that there is probably some sort of nonverbal communication going on with with whatever this NHI is. Um whether or not it's it's direct, you know, it's um they might be showing us something like, and I think Lou talks about it as well. If our jets um, go into, you know, someone else's airspace, you know, violate, violate that. And then, you know, we buzz them or something like that, that that's communicating. That is a form of, you know, nonverbal communication. Or if um, your dog basically, or stares at you, <laughs> like my dog does all the fucking time. She'll just sit there, fucking stare at me. And it's like, okay, she needs to go out. I wonder how much, of that has happened over millennia uh, between the NHI that apparently live alongside us and, uh, you know, humanity. Cause yeah, one of Gary Nolan's 
my favorite tweets of his is where he says, um, you know, you don't have to genetically intervene uh, to, you know, guide our species in one direction or another. You just have to uh, show up. I know that you and I are familiar with the C.B. Scott Jones guy who did the studies on dolphins. I think John Alexander was in some capacity involved with this. People in different scientific groups have been very interested in communicating and animals communicating with each other for a long time, and that's pretty established. But one guy that we're familiar with is that John Alexander guy, and he absolutely was interested. This is one of the areas of his interest was like communication, namely with dolphins. Yeah, it's uh, funny. I I saw he did a uh, recent speech um, with George Knapp. I guess in Vail or some shit. And, oh yeah, it was and, great. Yeah, it was really good. And then like one of the first slides he puts up is like all these things are connected, and it's like shaman, <laughs> shamans, remote viewing, near death experiences, um, you know, fucking UFOs, and then there's just a fucking picture of a dolphin <laughs> jumping in the air. It's like what? What are you talking about, dude? <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's pretty funny, dude. I and think it's, he- I kind of uh, I got it too because like. It kind of makes sense to me. I um, I personally, when I was, uh, I guess, in my 20s, early 20s, I, I was in college still. I think I might have been between like high school and college. I went on a trip to uh, Maui in Hawaii, and uh, we did this snorkeling uh, expedition, me and my family. It was like my aunt, my grandma, and my cousin. And um, so we went. It was a bunch of families on this boat. And, you know, each each family kind of went off and swam in different parts and um, of, you know, off the shore there. We were just kind of, you know, off doing our own thing. And then this fucking pod of dolphins, like wild, wild dolphins uh, swam up to us and started like circling around us. And they seemed very playful. I was kind of freaking the fuck out because, you know, like not in my environment, you know, I'm in the ocean. It's like these things could, you know, fuck me up easily. Um, but they just kind of just swirled around us a little then you know, we made, well, I made eye contact with these, a few of them. And it was kind of, it was one of the craziest things I've, I've ever experienced in my life. Um, there's definitely like a sentience there. Uh, when you, when you look into the eyes of these things, it's, it's almost in a human type way. It's, it's really hard to explain, but yeah, it was, it was wild. And they, they just, you know, fucked around, swam around, and then just took off for about five minutes. They were there doing that, and it was pretty cool. So when when John Alexander, uh, you know, has that sitting up there with fucking remote viewing, and <laughs> there's there's a sentience there that I think can tie in with all that stuff. So yeah, I just wanted to share that story. It was cool. That is cool, dude. I love I love when animals like some animals like dolphins especially have they seem to have a sense of humor. Totally. Like, uh, and they play <laughs> like I know. I know a lot of animals play, but like dolphins are something else when you really watch them with each other because they seem like they're like wisecracking each other. <laughs> Dude, the other one that I wanted to tell you about as far as animals go was uh, that army doctor we talked about, Andrea Puhari. One of the things that made him interested in parapsychology was he I was reading a speech he gave in the 80s. And uh, he tells the story of that he was a mail carrier. I think he says he was a mail carrier. I have to check. But he says he was a mail carrier and that he constantly was getting mauled by this dog that was always on his route. 
Yeah, and he right. said that one day he tried to like telepathically calm the dog down and he said he never bit him again. <laughs> and he was like hooked on learning about uh, uh, like psychic powers and psychic <laughs> abilities just off of that little interaction. I, that could just be a story, but like it made me smile. It is kind of crazy where you have these, you know, nonverbal relationships with these non-human. They are intelligences because they you know, are obviously interacting with you. They might not be advanced, but um, I think it it could be very similar to our interactions with with these non-human advanced intelligence behind these UFOs. Um, it could be similar to us and how we communicate with dogs. The other part of like when we're talking about dogs is that was another thing that uh, Elizondo talked about. I guess it was kind of actually it was probably one of those more somber quotes, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it seemed like it was one of those we are property quotes, I think. Yeah. That uh yeah, that's so sketchy. Forty in, yeah. Dude, I have a sick Charles Fort quote that I wanted to read you go about for it. about property. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is from uh John Keel's Disneyland of the Gods. He says, Charles Fort recognized the subtle warp and woof of human history when he stated, I think we are property. Someone owns this earth. All others warned off. The gods were at one time very real, and their directives to mankind were not initiated out of concern for the human condition, but calculated to protect the earth itself. Man was caught up as a pawn in some dark and forbidding celestial chess game. Events that seemed totally senseless to one generation would suddenly acquire important meaning several generations later. We tried to rationalize our predicament with inventive theologies and cosmologies. We rewrote history until it matched our ideals and concealed our often ugly motivations. Our true history became myth, and our myths became our substitute for history. That part of history and prehistory which lay beyond our feeble memories was filled in for us by entities who professed to belong to the Watchers. An oral history was passed on to the men who consorted with the Watchers, and we accepted much of it without question. After the great libraries of China and Egypt were destroyed, our prophets filled in the lost chapters of human progress. Yeah, I'll leave it at that because that's a pretty lengthy one. But I thought that was sick in relation to like uh, if we if we are really talking about this concept of there being some battle that mankind is stuck in between. I I love Disneyland of the Gods. It's one of the best books ever, and it's very short too. It's a like you it's a book you could keep in your backpack, and uh, it's just like so insanely filled with shit. It's interesting, too, when you tie it in with what Elizondo said. I think he said he was talking about like, you know, we wrote humanity rose to uh, the top of the food chain 70,000 years ago. And he made an emphasis on, you know, dogs came with us like we brought them up to the top of the food chain because that's right. They helped us out. Uh, They benefited from our rise as well. And um, that's another maybe similarity because. Yeah, I wrote a article and included this in it, um, you know, I think a year ago now. But there is a theory that humans are what is known as uh, self-domesticated. You know, when you domesticate an animal, they basically stick around because they can live off of, you know, the human just general way of life, I guess. Part of that is 
they have less, uh, you know, intimidating features, I guess. If you look, say you look at a wolf and it, you know, it's kind of, kind of scary compared to like your fucking Corgi, you know, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> so they, they evolve in a way that's less threatening to people who are domesticating them. Essentially they have rounder faces, they, that kind of thing. So there's a theory that humans quote unquote self domesticated. And so my fucking brain always uh, obviously go to like, we were domesticated like dogs kind of thing. Like, why would we self-domesticate? But doesn't like, I feel like you'd need uh, someone above us in order to be domesticated. The way I've always understood it is that dogs are a great example of, uh, I think Carl Sagan gave a great example of this on his show Cosmos, but he's talking about dogs and natural selection. And he's talking about how dogs are an example of artificial selection. We make the selection. Yeah. We take the traits that are desirable with our dogs, like cuteness or loyalty, or if they're <laughs> like, the, like literally bro, the best dogs are the cutest, most loving wolves, all dogs also, side note, apparently all dogs come from prehistoric wolves. They used to think that some dogs came from uh, ancient foxes and other dogs came from ancient wolves. But apparently it turns out that they're all they all share a common ancestor that was a prehistoric wolf, I believe. Yeah, we, we choose the traits that dogs are going to have. So right. that's an example of artificial selection. We control it. I wonder if that would be more alluding to like humans are artificially selecting each other when we're choosing our mates. You know what I mean? Like we are, when we look for mates as human beings, it is very unlike other animals. Like we look for all sorts of different criteria, but maybe not. I think I'm overthinking that. And what, okay. One of the other um, interesting parts of this was about learning mathematics or language, or science. We hear these voices in our head, we get these ideas, an epiphany, but they've been teaching us this. So essentially he's talking about downloads, or whatever you want to call them, inserted ideas into our into our heads. I think actually in um, American Cosmic, uh, they really went into this uh, by Diana Pasolka. They've kind of made it seem as if it came from some sort of other intelligence, at least, you know, within Diana Pasolka's book. It's what it, it's what it made it sound like. I don't know if you remember that part. Yeah, she calls Nolan uh, James, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she uses a pseudonym. And then like later on, I think that was like a pretty cool thing she did or either either that or she like wasn't allowed to say it at some point. Oh, did you? Were you around on Twitter when that happened? That was really funny. I think so. Um, yeah, it was uh, what happened. They, someone, I think, I think Diana kind of alluded to it in an interview that it was Gary, and so I, I tweeted something about it. It was something like uh, Diana Pasolka actually basically just admitted that Gary Nolan was James, and then, and then Gary replied to me with a picture of him and uh, Katy Perry at that party <laughs> that Diana talked about <laughs> in her book. I was like, holy shit, dude, that's fucking nuts. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that, you know, these these kind of downloads people talk about. I guess Tom is suggesting they might come from some other more advanced intelligence. Well, shit, good luck proving it. <laughs> that's all I think in my head. Like, that sounds cool and dope as a sci-fi fan. You just start another like, religion, basically. But uh, yeah, that's that's exactly, bro. It's like, it seems like that we we can't rationally 
understand this phenomenon. It seems like like human beings want to like <laughs> start some group or like try to. I don't know, man. It's a very it's a very interesting idea is when people start telling you confidently that they know what UFOs are. They it always makes me nervous as hell because yeah. it, it's it's like the track record about human human beings is that we have a history of getting shit dead wrong, like on a regular basis. So I I like I like that now it seems like it is there is a, a different feeling in the air. It feels like now we have legitimate scientists like Gary Nolan coming out and saying confidently, like, come see my data. Tom said in one of his interviews, I was kind of researching and then I, I stumbled upon the poltergeist part. He essentially says kind of what he, he he's talking about in the movie, but it was in that interview he did with Steve-O where he said, you know, a bunch of wild, uh, wild, I think, important stuff. I'll, ju I'll just read it real quick, the quote I put in the article. For example, at UCLA, they were studying poltergeist events, and they found out that if you see a book move on the shelf and it scares the shit out of you, that book will then fly off the shelf and try to hit you. So the more scared you get, the more shit starts happening, and they didn't know why. Well, the reason is you're a transducer of your environment. You're an antenna plugging into all these frequencies, and once you go, oh, that book is moving, it'll move. Our universe is just not what we think it is. The whole thing with UFOs is that they're fucking around with us because of that. I would not think of a UFO as a vehicle which aliens are going to travel in. These are more like entities. So I found that to be really interesting. And the fact that he kind of tied in the transducer aspect um, with the poltergeist phenomenon and our kind of intent uh, and its reaction to our intent and how we kind of manifest that in itself uh, kind of really got me got me thinking about it. So I went and I researched uh, these UCLA studies that you know Tom Tom referenced in this interview. And it turns out that like at, at around the same time as you know Stanford Research Institute was doing their remote viewing studies with you know Pudoff and Targ, UCLA also had a parapsychology uh, lab. One of the guys who was part of that uh, his name was Dr. Barry Taff. And so I kind of was looking into some of the stuff he he was talking about and some of the stuff he he's written about. So yeah, one of the one of the 4,000 cases he he looked into was the Doris Bither case. I don't know if you ever heard of that. It's also known as the entity haunting, and they they actually made a movie out of it. And it was like one of uh Martin Scorsese's like top in his top 10 like scary movies of all time. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I haven't. Yeah. I'm not really going to get into this one cause it's fucking gnarly and like, yeah, there's really, really dark shit that happened in this one, but yeah, and, but either way he was a, um, he researched that, that case at, at, when it happened, he was part of that team. So he, his idea is there are what he calls poltergeist agents. If they go into these, um, you know, anomalous geomagnetic areas of, of, you know, the planet, basically they're resonation i guess with whatever frequencies are happening around them um and their inability to to cope with the stress of that triggers something where their biofield starts starts emanating uh certain frequencies and, and basically causes all this all this crazy shit to happen when that happens i guess everyone else's kind of bio biomagnetic uh field 
feeds into that. And um, I think that's what, what Tom's kind of talking about with the whole transducer thing is where, where your intent creates what happens within that uh, dynamic. So having said all that that you just said, and knowing what we've heard about, like John Alexander said, how he thinks that this all has to do with consciousness, right? A lot of these yeah. things that people are reporting seeing. Where, how much do you think that believing that these things are the way that they are play into them happening and our brains allowing them to happen? If that makes sense. It like, makes complete sense. Um you know, we might be on these lines of probabilities, and I think this is kind of where quantum physics comes into it, is that, you know, every everything's a probability, and there's our intent can act upon those probabilities and push it one way or another. It doesn't mean it's going to happen specifically the way we imagine it, but the probability of it happening is much higher uh, the harder we try to concentrate in that direction. And I was also reading... um this guy, Tom Bearden, he's, he's pretty out there. He's a Lieutenant Colonel who wrote a bunch of stuff on, yeah, he's one of those quote unquote free energy guys that kind of have a hard time with, but, um, so there's mental phenomena and physical phenomena. So say there's three people, uh, this is kind of a thought experiment he, he put out there. Uh, there's three people and, um, you know, one of them is you, and say you're like super sick and you have an infection and it's making you hallucinate uh, and you have a piece of chalk in your hand, right? And, um, you know, you you see the piece of chalk, you can feel it, see it, whatever, taste it. All your senses can, can take in this whatever piece of chalk. And two other people walk in, they, they, they don't see it, they have no sensory input to that piece of chalk. So that is a mental phenomenon, that is, you know, a mental thing in your own head but say the same thing is happening and everyone in the room is you know you know mentally okay there's no hallucinations at all but say not everyone can see or touch or taste the chalk but more than one person can so that he calls that that's the paranormal phenomena where there's there's multiple minds but not all minds can can see or sense this information you explained that really well i think when we play that back you're going to be pretty impressed because okay. <laughs> i fucking sounded i thought <laughs> yeah. it sounded insane i thought that sounded fucking clutch bro that was good um yeah dude i think uh fuck bro you're really serving me right now because i can't even i don't even know how to respond to these points <laughs> they're so they uh because i don't i don't know much about ghosts I've never done a Ouija board or like uh, done a seance or some shit like that. And I'm not judging people who do. I'm just saying that like based on what I've read about it and listened to people who have done them, they swear up and down that shit happens. They swear that they see lights. They swear the tables shake. They swear that. Like you had to be there. It was something else. And me is like the super rational dude is like, I'm like, all right, well, just show me the evidence and then we'll get on with our day. Like, show me the video, of the table shaking. But the thing is, is like, um, there's people who have done it and filmed it. And one of them was those people. Uh, I think they were in uh, England and they were it was called the skull experiment in the 90s. And they filmed all that shit and they claim that like they 
Jeffrey Mishlove is a big advocate of the skull experiment. And he's, he, I, I, that's the way I heard about it was through his show, uh, Thinking Aloud, as he was like explaining how these scientists were like thoroughly thought that they were communicating with the dead or some other energy field that they were like tapping into somehow. And it wasn't ironclad and they were kind of goofy. But it was it was what it was. And it was an interesting experiment. I hope that like if it did yield any interesting results that could be repeatable, I hope people start doing them. Not me. I'm not doing it. <laughs> but I hope that uh, I, if you get what I'm saying, dude, like I hope that people start understanding these phenomena more so they're not paranormal. I think that shit happens w- with human beings when they get together when they're alone or scared or whatever i think that our consciousness has to behave in strange ways that we don't fully grasp yet and like edgar mitchell said he was like people call it the sixth sense but in reality it should be the first sense because we've always had this and it's something that we're essentially like losing as a as a species that's where i'm kind of headed with this idea is that it's not necessarily dead people with motives trying to fuck with you it would make more sense to me that it's some sort of energy that we don't understand uh that's that's actually connected to to us i guess i guess they call it a biofield it's some sort of and it's true we do give off you know (laughs) we do give off these these waves of energy and i just don't think we understand uh I think I think it's a kind of energy that we do not understand yet. It can be manipulated by by electromagnetic energy and vice versa. And I think once we understand um, the connection between that that biofield, quote unquote, and um, the yeah, its relationship with electromagnetic energy, I think that might be the kind of connection we get. And that's kind of what comes to mind when people talk about hey you fly this craft with consciousness it's like what the fuck does that mean <laughs> you know but it's like if you think about it <laughs> if you think about it in a way where your your kind of biofield connects electromagnetically to these craft or there's some sort of uh, conversion or transfer mechanism that would make sense and it's been talked about forever you know it's it's the ether it's 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 all this shit and i think that that might be the missing link between all this stuff and when people say you know what what's the what does consciousness have to do with ufos i think it's um i think it's a kind of energy we don't understand yet and um maybe used to understand better uh and we're able to use in a very organic way um but but we kind of lost that as technology started to started to take that over for us i'm not saying that that's what i believe i'm saying that 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 would make the most sense to me when it comes to um you know consciousness having to do with any sort of technology. Yeah, I like the way you put that. We're trying to talk about this as scientifically as we can. I know yeah. people probably <laughs> chuckle when I say that, but like oh, it yeah. is very difficult to talk about these concepts in a way that we can actually really try to like crack down on, right? And when we're talking about this type of like consciousness and what how how does this relate to UFOs is like that that was one thing that John Keel kept coming back to was he was like they're they're not saucers they're lights goddamn it they're they're living lights they they seem to have an intelligence of their own and people in, encounter these lights in all sorts of different circumstances but a lot of the time they're alone 
or they like get information transmitted to them, or they have all sorts of different like physiological effects. Like they'll have conjunctivitis symptoms. It'll feel like sand is in their eyes, or they'll have light microwave-like burns on their skin. And these people have been observed by people like Keel and Jacques Vallée, and I'm sure Gary Nolan has stumbled onto a couple of them. And the thing is, is like when I'm not, I hate to paint with a broad brush and I am not an experiencer. So I I hate to speak for them, but a, a large trend that I've noticed is that people will say like that when they see a craft, they thought that that craft was alive, mm-hmm. you know? And they'll say like, like Uri Geller, for instance, when he said he, he has this whole story where he says Warner Von Braun handed him a, a piece of a, sh- a shard of something and he held it in his hand and he said, what do you think, Uri? And he said, uh, that I, I feel like this is something from not, he said he felt like it was alive. It felt like it was something from not this planet. And that's what I think of when I think of like it, it, use consciousness was that just right there is it you can tell that like from the second we come into contact with this sort of material or whatever these things are made out of or tapping into that it works it's almost like an extension of your senses yeah you know like that's that's when we're talking about technology and what how how we defined technology is like i think an extension of our senses is a great subcategory of what technology is because that is what radars are that's what hearing aids are you know what i mean that's what night vision all of these things are technologies that extend our capabilities as human beings because our sensors are only capable of like comprehending so much for our brain like imagine if we discovered some sort of energy that we had no idea about and then all of a sudden all this shit is explained like you can make technologies that do all that, but it's like way more native to our own um, sensory inputs, you know, like, like night vision goggles are pretty fucking clunky. This might be um, just a much more streamlined way to interface with it. You know, that's kind of, it has been what's making sense to me is that there, there's something we're missing here. We used to not be missing it, but for some reason, I don't know, our trajectory took us on a path that, you know, brought us further away from it or something like that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just fucking spitballing. I, <laughs> I'm not saying I believe this shit. It's just all, my research recently has kind of, um, has kind of led to that. Can I uh, read you this quote from John Alexander from an Absolutely. interview you gave it? Okay. So this is when he was talking to Jeffrey Mishlove. This was in 2019. And Mishlov asked him, he said, you suggest, for example, that UFOs are not unrelated to near-death experience. And Alexander replied, well, I think consciousness is the key factor. And it crosses many things from psychokinesis. You know, we've done lots of work with shamans around the world. We've had experiences that, hence the name of the book, things that can't happen, but we've seen happen firsthand. I point out that if you're dealing with the spirit world and questioning UFOs, are these real? Is it ET? I come down against the extraterrestrial hypothesis just because it's too simple. But we have had humans interacting with sentient non-humans throughout the entirety of human history in all cultures, and that they happen to fly in little metal vessels is a relatively new wrinkle to that, even though UFOs have been around for a long time. And Mishlov says, sure, I mean, they used to call them chariots. 
And Alexander <laughs> goes, well, this goes back. This goes on back literally centuries and millennia. You also have, as you know, other kinds of spirits from fairies and elves and every culture has them. And Mishlev says an entire super sensible universe. And Alexander says, yep. And so the question is, if these things are interrelated, how does that work? And as I say, there does appear to be a piece of human consciousness that's sort of the cross-cutting. And that's like the common factor, as we said in that presentation. That's the common factor, apparently, between all these phenomena is like they're intrinsically look linked to human consciousness, it seems like. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Probably. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's tricky. Oh, another thing that he was talking about was fucking holograms. Dude, if we do talk about holograms, I have to talk about that dude Ishtag Bentoff because yeah, talk he, about he, he wrote a book. I might I might need five minutes because he he wrote a book called Stalking the Wild Pendulum. And in it he talks about like what is a hologram? What what that that book is a great thought experiment for consciousness. When it comes to holograms, like one of the, one of the themes in um, Monsters of California was like like Bigfoot, I guess, was kind of a hologram uh, when they experienced them. The guy referred to it as UFO technology was creating this hologram, and that's something Thomas said in the past: is that holograms were projected to uh, start religions. Basically, yeah, Lavenda. And I think I think it was man, Secret Machines man talks about how certain people who are who are missing limbs or are actually like born without limbs still feel that they have those limbs um, because that is kind of their baseline um, projection of themselves into into the universe. Like a like a human is meant to yeah, experience life in a certain way. And the fact that people who were born without limbs still have the phantom limb, um, you know, phenomenon, they still feel like they have a limb there, even though they never did, even from birth. That's kind of might be proof of our brains kind of projecting out uh, into the universe, you know, what what we expect to see. God, Peter Lavenda is the man. <laughs> I know. He is such a great author. It is kind All of right. crazy. Let me the so there's this part from Stalking the Wild Pendulum by Ishtak Bentoff, and he's talking about a concept he called coherency, and he's explaining what holograms are in relation to like us as as creatures and like different dimensions. So this is this is a good paragraph, I think. He says, first Coherency is important because we have to show that the information forms interference patterns in space-time or proto-space as it expands. You may remember from our description of the hologram in Chapter 1 what an interference pattern is. We know that holograms can be made only with coherent light, and we know that holograms or interference patterns contain in each element of their surface or volume all the information about the whole system, just as the chromosomes in each cell of our body contain the information about how to build another copy of our bodies. 
We know, of course, that in practice, it is the sperm and the egg cells that specialize in the business of making copies of us as human beings. But in principle, all cells contain all the information about us. So as we, the observers, rapidly expand in the space-like dimension, we form interference patterns with other observers as they too expand, and our information interacts with the information from these other observers. This all happens against the background of the reference frequency or the absolute. To go back to the hologram, our observers are the working beam, while the absolute is the reference, the inexperienced, naive beam. That makes a lot of sense. That was that was dope, dude. He's and the that, man. Yeah, that was a right. that was a great book. And that's something um, um Bearden talks about with with the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics is that. A lot of quantum mechanics is uh, based on one single observer when, you know, reality is there, there's a shitload of observers and it's it's really interesting to think about it that way. Do you think that our planet would exist if humans weren't there to observe it or if anybody wasn't there? Do you get what I'm asking? That's like, the question. Uh, yeah. I wonder if everything would just fizzle away. <laughs> tree falls well, in the forest type thing. That's, that's perfect metaphor. Well, we could talk about the scene where Bigfoot pisses in the guy's mouth if you want. <laughs> what? That's in this movie? Yeah, and apparently it was a hologram. So it was a, holog <laughs> it was a hologram piss. <laughs> nice, dude. I knew Tom DeLong would have his own directorial touch. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, yeah, why, why is Bigfoot pissing in someone's mouth? Uh, it's just, you know. Had to happen. It's part of the deal. <laughs> It'll uh, make sense a few generations from now. Yeah. Holographic piss. All right. Well, have a good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you want to talk about anything else? I think that's pretty good for now. Um, honestly, dude, that was a lot of fun. I, yeah, I think good. I think that was good. Um, and unless if you're good, I'm good. I don't I don't really have anything. When's your article coming out? Oh Jesus, dude! Dude, you can't keep doing this to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna. It. I'm trying my best, bro. But uh, I know it's not easy. I'm, I'm a, I'm a ruthless procrastinator when it comes to writing these things. Oh, and, it's brutal. Uh, I know. But it's uh, still something that I'm trying to learn about because I think it was one of the first episodes we talked about this, and I was still writing it. Like I was just getting it started, and I was like. Uh, yeah, it's about this. It's it's this, that's folded into this. But uh, I I like to take. I don't know if anyone's read any of my Substacks, but I like to take fiction and just throw it in there. And just even if it's a, a blurb from the Wizard of Oz, I like people to be able to read concepts from our favorite stories and be able to think about these concepts and be like, oh, okay, this is something that like this is fun. This is a lot of fun. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. that's something I've been trying to do with this book. But goddamn, dude, anytime you try to tie anything into, uh, <laughs> I don't even want to, I don't want to dive too deep into it. But any anytime you, anytime you, you fucking scratch either the name Hermes or Enoch. Yeah, in, in the alien world, shit just it, that shit's <laughs> Pandora's box, bro. It's like fucking never ending. 
just like so i'm trying to i'm trying to uh write it my way and make it to where it's something that's like it's not gonna be a fucking pulitzer prize but it's still something that i think like i've thought a lot about because the the ideas that or the challenge that the ufo phenomena presents us in the 21st century i think deserves uh a a good look in terms of like how are we going to respond as a culture to fatima event in anywhere you name it la freaking iran how do we respond to an event like that and the sociologically like how do our institutions respond if they see a UFO or a saucer or if a little green man hops out on the White House lawn? Like what I I think that these types of ideas are kind of freaky to people. But like I also want people to not be afraid. I'm so, yeah. so tired of people being afraid of our world. This is our world. You know what I mean? Like, what? How, how are we going to live our lives in fear over these topics? And I know people don't like really talking about ghosts or death and that, that type of stuff is heavy and uncomfortable. But like, I, I am just coming at this from an honest, like, let's give this a try collectively and see if we can really figure out what this is. And maybe if we do, we, we learn a lot about ourselves in the meantime. You know, and like that seems to be everything, every indication is pointing that direction. You know, it seems like the the more we're learning about UFOs, the more we're learning about human beings. So I'm on board, bro. I never remember what my shit is. Like, <laughs> it is uh, called a resonant chaos on uh, tinyclass.com. It's for supporters and it'll be free next week at some point. So. Uh, yeah, depending on when you hear this, uh, go check it out. And, um, yeah, I think we're good, man. Sweet. Um, yeah. So thanks for listening and, uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks guys. Thank you. <laughs>